regret it. Welcome. Well, thank you, Sabrina Marie. Glad to be here. Yes, Rick, you've been a guest with us. We um, remember you um, as being a serial entrepreneur, and now, um, especially for the last six or seven years, you've dedicated a lot of your time to first win-win, now pentonomics, uh, studies of the five economies and that, you know, we need to unite to, to have a better world. And I'm glad to have you back again, especially in this political season, which is topsy-turvy, crazy, <laughs> <laughs> and just uh, downright at most times evil. I, I've never, you know, I've, I've not voted since the beginning of time, but good night. You know, it's, this is interesting. And I want you to talk because Gen Xers and Millennials now, we make up the majority of the voting population, you know. Wow. And um, when we look at uh, what's going on, not just now in this election, but economy-wise and other things that are affecting both generations since we're the bulk of the working public now, um, we're looking to see what's going on in the future. So this pentonomics, tell our audience a bit about it and uh, why you believe this theory could actually help our future uh, generations as well as our working generation now. Well, sure. Um, uh, and again, thank you for having me on the, on the show. Uh, pentonomics is a brand new way to look at the world. It's a brand new political theory, brand new economic theory, and uh, the most important feature of pentonomics is that it is a unified theory, meaning uh, let's say you're on the political right and you want freedom and prosperity, or maybe you're on the political left and you want progress and social justice, or maybe you're caught in between and you just want both sides to come together and work together, or maybe you want peace or sustainability, uh, either fiscal sustainability or environmental sustainability. Pentonomics brings all of these good goals into a single model and helps us understand how to pursue all of these good goals at the same time. It won't be easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is simple. <laughs> okay. And so as we uh, explore the pentonomic model, uh, the five economy model, that's what pentonomics means, five economies, uh, the more we understand pentonomics, the more we understand how to make all these good things happen. Awesome. It's a, it's a new theory, a new worldview that is really to be studied. Um, we've used old language like capitalism and government spending and democracy and diplomacy and all this other stuff, you know, and, and it all makes up for, you know, what's going on now. Now, the pentonomic, you do have what I like, the future, future, long-term goals. And, uh, you know, when when you hear a lot of the rhetoric in politics, whether it be the election or just um, – People talking about the Kennedy era, the Eisenhower era, after World War II, before World War I. Um, people get into all these different parties and, and whatnot. But really, the Republican Party didn't really uh, start out as a party until 1860. I was reading in a government political book, and I know you um, have studied philosophy. We have everything from the Whigs to... Um, labor, farm labor, different, these are the names of the different parties. We even had independent, greenback, don't know what that means. Independence, and meaning independent, not independent, 
independence party, uh, populist party, progressive. Had you ever studied any of those to know what they mean? Because the first few presidents, uh, George Washington and uh, whatnot, they didn't declare a party. They they were, you know, they just ran. Well, yes, federal, fact, uh, George Washington even warned us against forming political parties because he saw political parties as, you know, a way to grab power in, in a bad way potentially, and and he didn't want to see the country go down that route, uh, that road. Unfortunately, or or fortunately, depending on your perspective, um, if you're going to have elections, you're going to have people rally together to form power groups and. Um, get their views um, you know, pushed into government, and so political parties. We, we can, you know, after hundreds of years of modern democracy, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that parties are around and will always be around as long as we have voting. And I hope we have voting for a very, very long time because we don't want the um, the lack of voting is a tyranny or a dictatorship. Um, sometimes in a good way, uh, Singapore would be a good example of that. Um, but sometimes in a very bad way, um, and there's many examples of that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not personally a, a historian, uh, not even a philosophical historian, so um, I can't speak to what each of those different party names really stood for back in the day. What, what I can tell you, though, is that the discussion that takes place inside democracy, inside the political resource economy, um, which is our competition for these positions of power, political power. Uh, that that discussion plays out over generations, and so mm-hmm. uh, it, it's especially in this election season, it, it's it's easy to get depressed or to be pessimistic. But really, if you take the long term view, um, especially going back in time, we have made a tremendous amount of progress as a country uh, in the last couple mm-hmm. hundred years. And um, you know, it's not always a straight line. Like um, certainly, capitalism has produced more and more prosperity on average over time uh, since it first kind of uh, got uh, got in place. Um, but meanwhile, our government spending has kept pace. But the structure of government spending doesn't allow uh, or doesn't encourage results to matter. And so we end up with a big kind of bloated government that really isn't making any of us happy, left, right, or center, but no one really knows what to do about it. Well, that's where petonomics comes along and says, wait a minute, Um, just like capitalism has an element of competition or negotiation, just like democracy has an element of competition or negotiation, just like diplomacy has an element of competition and negotiation, we need that same kind of competition and negotiation when it comes to government spending. And you might think that we already have that because, after all, we have Congress, and, and it's one big conversation, one big you know, fight over priorities. But here's my question. How well is that structured? <laughs> How good are the results? Um, the results aren't good uh, by any measure, really. I mean, uh, it's good only by the measure that, hey, we're still around, we're still pretty free, and we can still go about our lives for the most part. Um, industries are very heavily regulated, but we, the individuals, are pretty free. So, you know, by historical standards, I'm really happy to be alive right now. <laughs> so, um, uh, but we still want it better. We want government to be better than it is, and that's why we have this big, passionate debate. Um, we're trying to figure out how to do it better, 
And my proposal, or you know, based on my research here on the pentanonic model, is we have to do a better job economizing public resources, meaning we have to stop this, um, this attempt to steal from each other, okay, which doesn't really benefit anyone um, you know, over the long term. We have to kind of agree on some reasonable limit so that we're fiscally sustainable at least. And then we take that money and we've got to prioritize it. We've got to rank it from top to bottom. So the most uh, important spending is on top and the least important spending is on bottom. And that's going to be a big fight, but there's ways to do it. We can talk about that. Um, but here's the point. If we actually prioritize the budget, then the, um, uh, this would force some items to the bottom of the list. And it would force those items eventually off the list. That would make room for new ideas and new funding. And over time, we'd see progress. We'd see better and better ideas being thrown over the cliff because we'd be funding even better ideas. And that is progress. Progress in terms of government spending is throwing better and better ideas off the cliff. It sounds counterintuitive, but if you think about it, that's what capitalism does. You can have the newest, coolest computer, but three years later, or certainly ten years later, you can throw that computer off the cliff because there's so much better computers available. Um, now, we want to recycle it, of course, but the, the point is um, <laughs> progress is when you, you're raising the bar. And so we need a structure of government that allows us to continuously raise the bar on spending so we're, we're funding better and better ideas. That is the proper pursuit of social justice, and it also happens right. to be a process that works within the limited government that the political right wants to maximize freedom. So that's where we can start to see how pentonomics unites freedom and social justice, and it's all about competition. In other words, competitive government is better than corrupt government. Amen. Amen. <laughs> In the last, the last 30 years, everybody's talking about the last 30. Let's go to the last 36 years. I know that you started, uh, you know, you were a computer geek. You really loved uh, computers, and you were there at the beginning of Microsoft, and, and uh, when when it was, I, from what I'm understanding, a bit easier for startups to happen. Um, we we heard last night the whole NAFTA thing, where jobs being uh, sent overseas, et cetera. And what's really hurt millennials, as millennials, is that the you know the jobs have been sent overseas. There's not very many jobs. When you talk about this uh, five economies and capitalism, and um, you know privatization, let's go to privatization. That you know you talk about the capitalism part, which is private, and then you're talking about uh, democracy. What would help us retain or gain? or create more jobs. That's a big issue for those of us still in the workforce. What, why aren't we – we used to be top producers, and uh, that not only came up in the debate, it, it's come up really a lot in the news. Sure. Well, it, yeah, no, um, you know, the job market is always an important political uh, football. And honestly, there's been a lot of misinformation about it, in part because – we haven't solved the social justice issue. You see, okay. if, we, if we don't understand how to properly pursue social justice, then the political left, for example, it has no choice but to say, hey, you know, we only have a couple 
dials we can turn. We can, we can turn the capitalism dial left or right, and we can turn the government spending dial left or right. And um, hey, you, the voters, you can turn the voting dial left or right, okay? And, and so right now we have this left-right divide where the political right is saying, hey, we want to you know, set our economy free. Yeah, we want to regulate capitalism because we want to, to outlaw criminal acts. But after we outlaw criminal acts, many people on the political right say that's all we should do. We should let the free market be free to, you know, negotiate the price of labor, to negotiate the price of products, and decide what features they want to have in their health care plan, and let the, comp- let the competition decide all those things. That's what the political right says. Meanwhile, the political left says, wait a minute. Okay, we can see that capitalism produces this prosperity, yeah, but it's not very equal. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. How do we create equal opportunity? How do we create social justice? Well, um, the political left answer right now is, hey, hey, let's dial capitalism back a little bit and, um, you know, tax the wealthier people at a higher rate. Let's tax businesses at a higher rate. Let's um, use that money to to help people, okay, through government spending. But here's the problem. Government spending is, right now, it, it, it's, it's in a state where results don't matter. And not only that, mm. but government spending is kind of locked up. I mean, think about our entitlement budget, you know, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, food stamps, a.k.a. SNAP nowadays, uh, unemployment insurance. All of these programs, you know, these are the, these are the most popular programs we have. And and but what, what do they do? They lock up spending. Okay, they lock it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if you have a better way to help someone, doesn't matter. The spending is locked up. And so what I'm proposing uh, through this pentonomic model is that you know what? If you want social justice, you can have it, but you, you can only get it by letting ideas compete in a prioritized budget. That means the end of the entitlement era. And the beginning of a social justice era, but but let's be real clear: the social justice era, according to Pentonomics, is an era when ideas for spending compete. Well, what does that mean? That means, um, you, you know, when you get a check for Social Security or you get a um, you get permission to use the the Medicare plan or whatever. Okay, that's basically a voucher. Okay, a voucher is a check, um, okay. and it can either be sent to you directly or it can be sent to the insurance company directly, but, but either way, um, uh, you know, when the government gives you money or helps you afford something or, or gives you something, it's basically the equivalent of a voucher. Now, vouchers have kind of a bad term in some circles um, because we talked a lot about school vouchers, and we'll talk about that in a second, I'm sure, but here, here's my proposal. Let's stop thinking about vouchers as a bad thing because all of the most important most uh, popular government programs are voucher programs. Social Security is a voucher program. Medicare, Medicaid are voucher programs. Uh, food stamps are very clearly a voucher program. Unemployment insurance is a voucher program. These are all voucher programs. They're checks or checks you know, they're paid to you or they're paid to the services. The point is, what if we imagine a better future where we can let all these ideas for helping people compete without the promises locking things up? Instead, let's, let's prioritize. Let's find better and better ways to figure out who needs help, how long to help them, when to cut them off, because cutting off a person is part of helping them sometimes, 
and then um, and then how to help them, what programs help the unemployed best, and um, uh, you know you know is it education, is it clothing, is it healthcare, is it food, and if so, for how long and for how much? If we let these ideas compete um, for, for vouchers, then we have a more dynamic government, a more nimble government, and when there's a recession. That's where we need a nimble government. We, we need a government that can respond to that recession and then prioritize different groups of people um, based potentially on an individual-by-individual individual basis um, so that we're helping the people who need help most. So that's the social justice era, and that's uh, understanding how it actually works is what will unite the left and right behind it because the right wants a limited government, the left wants social justice. Well, it turns out you can have both, but you've got to structure it right so that results matter. Now, that's where you mentioned left and right. We've got um, independent uh, people on our ticket, and this, and we've had it uh, really all the time. Um, and going back to you know 1789, I mentioned some of the the different uh, uh, parties that just don't even exist anymore. Don't know, don't even know what they mean. But even back then, they thought, hey, wait a minute. We have left and right, but what about those of us who believe in both of those? In fact, um, I don't know whether you knew this, um, George Clinton, one of the signers for the early um, Congressional Congress, which was before our U.S. Congress, and, you know, uh, they were both the term Democrat-Republicans. Yep. That was a party. That was a party. Yep. You had... Um, one person who was actual, uh, uh, I think it was vice president, Aaron Burke, who is anti-fi. Don't know what that means. So they were thinking along the same lines. What if we're kind of in the middle, or we believe a little bit of both, we're more libertarian? Um, I don't know whether that uh, libertarian would be labor or independence or whatever. They they have so many different names. Populist, communist was even back then, union labor. And when I mention these, I believe some of these third parties are really people who are working the land. They were entrepreneurs. They own their own, you know, farms. That's how people made money back then. Uh, mm-hmm. We have people right in the middle uh, and really on the left, not very many right because we're talking wealth, but we could have some there. We need to know how pentonomics can help those of us independent thinkers and independent, or maybe we don't even want to declare a party. We're just confused and just set up, you know. Yeah, well, in the presidential system, which is what we have here in the United States of America, it really encourages two dominant parties because Mm -hmm. when you're fighting for president, um, you know, one side wins, one side loses, and so if one side is split into two parties, they're going to they're, they're going to they're going to lose guaranteed. In a parliamentary system, and the difference, by the way, for if anybody doesn't know, uh, in a parliamentary system, you elect Congress essentially, although it has different names around the world, but you elect Congress, and then Congress votes for which member of Congress should be president, or they often call it prime minister, um, you know, for a certain time. And so that actually encourages um, many different political parties because a third party can sometimes break the tie and then both major parties are forced to negotiate with the smaller third party. 
And so it gives a, 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 a huge incentive to have third parties. Now, I'm not sure which model is better, and, and Pentonomics doesn't say, but I, I just want people to understand why there are two major parties, and, it, and it's really because we have a presidential system. And I think in some ways that works better, and in some other ways maybe not quite so well. But honestly, over the long term, I don't think it really matters. We're still discussing the same issues. It just um, depends. You know, it'll, it'll change how the discussion happens. But but for all those people who are in the middle, who who have a sense that both sides have a piece of the puzzle, but maybe they're not quite right. sure how that puzzle fits together, that is exactly um, what pentonomics is for. Okay, pentonomics is the philosophy that puts the whole puzzle together. And you know what? It's not actually a proposal. Um, the last time I talked to you, uh, which is probably three years ago, I'm guessing, or four, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was I was talking about a proposal. Hey, let's cap government spending so it's sustainable, and let's prioritize right. government spending so that we can spend better and better over time. That was called cap and prioritize. Now, I still believe in right. that proposal, but um, in my work on political philosophy, what I've realized is, wait a minute, the reason it works is because it's economizing uh, government spending or public resources, just like capitalism economizes private resources, just like democracy economize, economizes political resources, just like uh, diplomacy economizes foreign resources. We're encouraging foreign nations to use their resources in ways that benefit us, and, and th they're doing the same in reverse. And then the long-term economy is about making sure the future has the resources they need. And we're economizing future resources. And so when I started to realize that this all fit into a single, simple, beautiful framework, and I started doing the deeper research around it, and I was able to prove that the mere existence of humanity means that we have these five and only these five types of action, and therefore these five types of resources. In other words, the mere existence of humanity means that society is pentonomic. Now, we could choose to structure the economy in different ways. We can structure it poorly and allow a lot of theft and corruption, or we can structure it properly and minimize theft and corruption, and thus encouraging the free negotiation of price, which over time leads to different benefits, including prosperity and social justice and peace and so on. Um, but, but here's my point. What we have now for the first time ever is a single, simple view of how the world works. And you know what? It's no longer a proposal. I'm not trying to propose how the world should work. That's kind of like proposing how gravity should work. <laughs> no, that's not, doesn't work that way. I'm trying my best now to describe how the world does work. Okay? That's a lot more like physics now than, than politics, at least politics in the past. In, in a sense, uh, I think actually this is a perfect analogy. Pentonomics turns politics into physics. These are a set of laws, economic laws, that apply to all human action. And what it reveals is there's only one path to prosperity, and that is the free market. There's only one path to social justice, prioritize budgets. There's only one path to progress. That's the pandering that goes on in, diplomacy, in, in democracy over time. There's only one path to peace. That's diplomacy backed up by a strong national defense. There's only one path to sustainability um, and growth over time, and that is making unilateral decisions in the moment about what limits to live within and, and how to invest. And um, uh, the fact that there's only one path 
to each of these ideals, that's what helps us all come together and say, okay, we want all of these things, and we've never agreed on how to do it, but now we can see how it works, and now we can come together as one nation and, and make it happen. We talked um, last time about the cap and grade, and I remember you speaking about um, not only the you know the government spending and capitalism, you're also talking about uh, diplomacy. With many jobs and many goods of America uh, being bought over here by big box farts and whatnot, um, those jobs used to be in America. We have a generation, we can hear from our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers, if we're lucky to have anyone still around, about how they worked in factories right in Philadelphia and, you know, New Jersey and other places around the country. Um, you don't find that a lot anymore. Um, how can pentonomics, uh, the belief in the, the ideolo- ideology of this, help um our country and our generation moving forward. Well, let's say a company wants to hire a person for a certain wage, okay, to do a certain job, and let's say that person is happy to work for that wage and do that job for whatever reason, and let's say the government says, sorry, no. Okay, we're not going to let you hire this person for that wage because we don't think that wage is high enough. Okay, we're going to set the minimum wage higher. Okay, now what happens is if if you're the employer and you have a minimum wage to deal with, well, you're going to take your pick of all the people who are unemployed who want the job and you're going to pick only the best because, of course, you are. Okay, just like if there was a minimum price for houses, if you could only buy houses for a million dollars, well, there'd be a glut of houses on the market, and and you would only pick the best ones, okay? And and then right. the other houses would never get sold. Well, the same thing works in the labor market. If you have a minimum wage, you are guaranteeing unemployment, because there will be some people that just for whatever reason aren't worth hiring at that wage. Okay, for, for okay. it could be because of mindset, could be because of habits, could be because of experience, could be because and, and they might be just fine, but there's someone else better is the problem. Right. So um, if you want um, to to have those jobs back, get rid of the minimum wage. Now, if you're on the political left, you might say, wait a minute, no, that's not the right answer. We want a living wage. We want X, Y, and Z. Well, here's the thing: if a person Look, uh, most jobs are not minimum wage jobs, and that's not because the, the employers are are so nice. <laughs> it's because of competition, and and one of the ways you earn a better paying job is by being on the job and by doing a right. good job, and then you earn a higher salary. And so most of the people earning minimum wage um, really are people doing you know, little like temporary kind of jobs, like like food service or maybe they're even senior citizens who are kind of keeping busy. Um, there are very few, very few people whose main livelihood is a minimum wage job, and if it is, it's probably because something is wrong, okay? Now, uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, that person needs some help in terms of education or mindset or, or job skills or whatever. So, so here, here's my point. Under the current political divide, we're given two choices. 
The right says minimum wage is wrong because it hurts the people you're trying to help and it hurts our economy and whole industries leave our shores and those jobs mm-hmm. disappear and people are dependent on welfare. That's what the political right says. Political left says, well, wait a minute, we, we, we need to help these people. Okay, and, and the minimum wage is the best idea they've come up with. Well, Tetonomics has a better idea. It's a two-pronged attack. Okay, step one is to set the economy free. Let people negotiate their, their wages without a minimum, and, and let's, let's just see what jobs people get. Okay, um, now in parallel, step two, we have all this money in the federal government, Let's prioritize, especially the social spending, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, you know, unemployment insurance, food, food stamps, etc. Let's prioritize these vouchers, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, so that the people who need help most, those people in those very low-paying jobs, they get help that they need. Now, we're not going to force them to get help. That wouldn't be freedom. We're not going to force them to go to school, but we're going to give them the opportunity. If you want a better life, here's a voucher for education. If you want, um, if you can't afford health care, we understand. We're assuming you're trying your hardest to, to get the most money, but if you're at that level of education right now, and, and uh, you, we're going to give you a little bit of help. Um, and, and so, in fact, we're already doing that with Obamacare. That's probably the good part about Obamacare. But Obamacare should be very simple. Obamacare should not be 1,200 pages of regulations. Okay, plus right. a lot of those regulations are regulations that create authorities in government to regulate even more. So I don't even know how many pages of regulations Obamacare is or will become. But what Pentonomics says is that healthcare and education, those are things that should be done by the free market. Let's let the free market create a wide variety of solutions and let them compete with each other by adding more variety and better services and lower costs over time. That's what capitalism does best. In parallel, okay, in parallel, this is what the right does not understand. In parallel, let's keep the money in government, but let's prioritize it so we're helping people afford those solutions um, as they you know, rise up the ladder of opportunity in capitalism. We, as a whole, we're claiming we're not really into the political process. We're not into this because we're just so turned off by what has happened. Really, over the last eight, ten years, it's just, um, in fact, you got a lot of uh, newspapers from USA Today, CNN, Will millennials vote? Will Gen Xers vote? Will these ethnic groups vote? And why don't they want to vote? I believe that our system has forgotten us. Um, it wasn't until that glimmer of hope, I believe, when Barack Obama reached out with the 2.0 to reach um, millennial and Gen Xers right where they were, that mm-hmm. many people felt they actually mattered in this particular election. You don't see that except for Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie Sanders tapped into our generations and gave us a glimmer of hope only to be dashed, uh, you know, because of the delegates. Uh, what did you sure. think about that whole thing? Because it doesn't matter with us your age. It matters if you can uh, create a connection with us. And that's what Bernie did. 
Absolutely. And and Ron Paul on the political right did the same thing um what mm-hmm. was it four or eight years earlier. The um And Ralph Nader did the same thing. Sure, for, sure. You know, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and even 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 Ross Perot to some degree, the, the Reform Party. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. uh, so look, I don't think it's accurate that the political system has forgotten or is ignoring the millennials and Gen Xers. It's just that they don't have a good message for them. Um, and honestly, even the message of Bernie Sanders or Ron Paul is an incomplete message. Uh, Ron Paul is saying, hey, or was saying, you know, the classic libertarian message of set capitalism free and shrink government. And Bernie Sanders is saying the opposite, which is let's give free education, let's let's tax the rich more, we can fund this, we can um, and we can have a better life by more government power, more government spending, more regulation of capitalism. But there's a reason why none of these messages become truly mainstream, at least here in the United States. Um, it's because both sides are only half the answer. The political mm-hmm. right, the libertarian right especially, is absolutely correct that capitalism needs to be set free so we can become more and more prosperous. And the political left is absolutely correct that we need also, at the same time, more and more social justice, more equal opportunity. But that equal opportunity and social justice is not going to come from mandating and regulating capitalism and bur- mm-hmm. because all that does is burden capitalism. All that does is reduce prosperity and hurt the people who need help most. Those are always the people that get hurt by, by regulations, unintentionally mostly, but that's who gets hurt. Um, and Petronomic says that we're not going to get social justice with progressive taxes. A progressive tax only helps poor people by letting them keep a little bit more of their meager income. That's not helping them enough. <laughs> we need to help them more. Um, and and, and Petronomic says you're not going to get social justice by having entitlement spending and taking over the health care system and taking over the education system because that locks up the spending. It doesn't allow ideas to compete. Uh, what Petronomics does say is that if you want social justice, the only way to get it is to take the money you have in government and prioritize it so that we start seeing better and better results. Okay, And it turns out we can do that while letting capitalism go free at the same time. And the combination is going to focus like a laser on the people who need help most and it's going to help them get the help that they need the most. And that is, and especially over time, that is social justice. Um, a question that I put out to my audience before we began talking, we were talking um, online about what is known as Obamacare, the Affordable Health Care Act, and how that has helped many people for the first time, be able to afford insurance, but on the flip side, has raised rates for others in dramatic form. Um, one of the things that the um, healthcare advocates for single payer um, wanted was for a Medicare for all bill. There's money that has to pay for that. What we are talking also about is that it seems like the uh, insurance companies uh, who weren't supposed to be part of the Obama care 
now are part of that. Uh, when you think about government spending and other spending, what do you think got out of hand there? And how can, um, you know, you know, you see what I'm saying? It's just like, wait a oh, minute, yeah, it totally, helps totally. these people, but then it hurts your business owners. Um, my brother's a business owner and he's got to provide health care, but, you know, the premium is just outrageous. And, hey, what do we do? Well, honestly, it's the simple laws of economics. The more you regulate and control an industry, mm-hmm. the the less competition you're going to have. Okay, And the less competition you have, the less um, price um, – you know, the less pressure you're going to have on putting prices lower. Um, so what Obamacare actually does, on, on, you could say unintentionally, although some think it was, it was intentional, it, what Obamacare does is it so constricts competition that it, it forces everyone to raise prices. And see, some people on the right think that Obamacare was designed intentionally to fail so that then we could say, hey, let's move to single payer. Now, here's the good thing and the bad thing about single payer. Okay? The good thing about single payer is that it's true that a single government you know, entity can negotiate a better price for certain things um, using the power of their one purchasing agent kind of a thing. Okay? Um, and so we can have an idea that maybe we can save money with national you know, single payer. Here's the problem with single payer. The problem with single payer is it almost completely destroys competition. Okay? Mm-hmm. One of the reasons we have innovation in healthcare is because the U.S. isn't single payer, and so a lot of companies innovate and charge the U.S. more, and then they release the same drugs, the same machinery, the same te- techniques and procedures elsewhere around the world for whatever price they can negotiate. But a lot of the profits come here from the U.S. If the world stops um, having free market health care completely, then health care innovation is going to slow down to a crawl. It may still happen just because, you know, it, you know stuff is going to happen, but it's going to be one one-hundredth of the, of the progress that we see if only we had a truly free market health care around the world. Um, the proof of that is in the few areas where health insurance and um, government regulations don't impede health care. If you look at the price of, co- of elective cosmetic surgery, if you look at the price of, um, of eye corrective surgery that's elective, um, the prices of these things are going down and have been going down for decades. Why? Because of competition and free market innovation. Um, if something is priced high, for example, let's say there's a hurricane that comes along, and um, and suddenly everybody needs wood for constructing and drywall and all the all the construction kind of stuff, the price of those items is going to skyrocket. But that high price, what does that high price do? The high price attracts everyone from around that state that has those materials, and they start shipping them in to, to take advantage of that high price. But what does that do? That lowers the price. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, there happened to be a hurricane that hit, um, I forget the two states, but it was two states on the Atlantic coast. And one state outlawed price gouging. And one state let the free market reign. 
Guess which um, state enjoyed a faster recovery? Guess which state yeah. saw prices drop faster? It was the free market economy because it, it, the high price is, uh, of, 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 of certain things is that in the free market is actually a, an indicator to everyone who wants to make money, hey, come here and provide the service. We really need it. So the, um, let me wrap this up very simply. The attempt to set prices at the very best, at the very best, can make things a little bit better for the moment. Okay, usually they make them worse, but at the, at the very best, they can only make things a little bit better. Compare that to capitalism or the free market um, or the prioritized spending and government spending, you know, a marketplace here. When there's competition and negotiation over price over time, what happens is continuous improvement. Now, which is going to win in the long run? A set marketplace, a fixed marketplace, a dictated marketplace, or a constantly improving marketplace? Okay, the answer, when you put it that way, I hope is very, very clear. The constantly improving marketplace over the long term is always, always, always going to win over a dictated marketplace. And so that's what the supporters of Obamacare and that's what the supporters of a single-payer health care system are missing. They're focused on the short-term improvement that they hope to achieve, but what they're doing is they're destroying the mechanism that creates even more improvement over time. Now, the political right has been arguing about this um, for decades now, but what they're missing, what the political right is missing, is that there isn't just one marketplace. Capitalism is the private economy, but there's also a public economy, political economy, foreign economy, and future economy. All five economies should be properly structured. That's where we get social justice and freedom and everything else. Future economy. Um, one thing that Bernie's platform talked about was uh, pre-public college education, mm -hmm. but as we know, resources do cost. Um, people also say that Bernie has a lot of socialist views. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where are we going to get the money for, because people, I, I believe people would take the opportunity for higher education, whether it be from community college or trade, if they could, you know, get it for free. But what are you getting? You know, we don't know that yet. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I do believe that education is one of the absolute best investments in a person's individual life, but also it's one of the most important and and um, uh, best return on investments for society as a whole, too. So I am all in favor of the government um, you know, using taxpayer money to help ensure that, that everyone has a chance to be educated to whatever level they can be or, or um, are, you know, are in, in excited to, to be. Um, but you know what, that doesn't mean that we have to make it free for everybody. Um, my proposal based on pentonomics is that we let all colleges be privately run, privately funded, and then in parallel we keep the money the same but we give it to the students in the form of a voucher, and we prioritize which students we help, and we prioritize how well we help them. Because you know what? If you do the math, 
trying to fund every student for every type of education is just it's mm-hmm. off the charts expensive. It, uh, right. it, it, it's especially true for for healthcare, um, but it, but even for grade school, um, you know, imagine how much more variety we would have in education if government wasn't running education, if if government was only funding education. Okay, like for example, three of my four kids have ADHD. I would love it if there were schools around that focused on ADHD education. <laughs> okay, but um, you know the, the schools that do that and do it right are few and far between, and I, I would have to move to another state to to find one. I think, but if there was true competition among schools where every school was run by its own company. Uh, non-profit or for-profit or both, okay, um, in order to get students, each school would start to specialize, just like we see specialization in the free marketplace. And the money would still be there, though. Government would still be funding education, but um, I could then choose for my son um, uh, or sons which school would be best for each of them based on their interests and their talents and and, uh, and what motivates them, what really gets them excited. And, you know, you, you, you just can't have that kind of variety when government is running everything. Now, the people who love government schools, you know, they resist this change because they feel if we aren't all in to help government schools, then we're undermining government schools. And I think they're right, <laughs> okay? But it's just... I personally believe we should start undermining government schools because there shouldn't be government schools. There should be private schools and public funding. I wanted to ask this interesting question. Um, we started this interview with, um, you know, talking about the various parties that have come along and, and gone along the way to where we're at now with uh, really a, a major two-party system. And, um, you know, some independence in there with different ways. Uh, some people may tr- call, uh, Donald Trump, um, a really different type of candidate as he, uh, <laughs> he can either be Republican or Democrat. It just depends on what day, I guess. Um, but when you really look at the history, uh, the Alexander Hamiltons, you know, that's now a play on, on it, and, and, and rightly so. James Madison, um, people who were there for the Articles of the Confederation uh, didn't like the Articles of the Confederation. In fact, we wouldn't have a Constitution if, it, if the Federalists, which George Washington sort of favored, that, that's not a party anymore, uh, had not decided that the two-party government we had, executive as well as the uh, legislative was just a little too weak. We didn't have a judiciary until mm-hmm. uh, the Constitution. What do you think about now? People are saying, well, we only have these two parties and these two ideals, and people hold on to the ideal in a party, but they're not, many are not looking at what the candidates really stand for. They just know they're Republican or they're Democrat or whatnot. Do you feel with your methodology and, and thinking that we have a generation of people who will be willing to, hey, look at, see what, where we're at today. Look at the deficit. Look at, you know, the infighting. 
we need to do some changing. Um, things have changed since uh, 1800 or 1792. Uh, we're still going under that same um, populist, uh, or what do you call it, electoral college. Yep. Will we change? Do you think that this this century that you could actually see a major change in what we're doing? I have no doubt. Um, I'm not saying it'll happen, but I'm saying I'm absolutely confident it can happen. And, and the proof actually is in history. Um, you know, a philosopher named John Locke, uh, who inspired the character name on Lost, but um, a philosopher named John Locke wrote, uh, you know, a couple books on freedom. A hundred years later, the United States of America was founded, based largely on his ideas, um, augmented by some other philosophers as well, Montesquieu, the Cato Letters, and so on. Um, then Karl Marx comes along, 150 years later or whatever, and he says capitalism is great, but you know what? In fact, he named it capitalism. So Karl Marx comes along and says capitalism is great, it's progress versus what came before it, but it's not going to last because there's still a class warfare problem. And so he theorized that something would replace it. He called that communism. And he actually didn't describe with great precision what communism should be. He figured it would be argued out over time. Um, but what happened, <laughs> of course, 50 years later, it got adopted by uh, what became the Soviet Union and led to you know, some of the greatest... Uh, you know, massacres in the history of the world. Hundreds of millions of people right. killed across the Soviet Empire, the Chinese um, Communist Party domination, and, and whatever else. So, but, but, but these are examples of great historical or social level change based on a new idea. Mm -hmm. And the idea, by the way, is always simple. Let's have freedom, okay? that led to the birth of the United States. Let's have equality. That was the, the French Revolution and, in a, in a way, the, the Soviet Communist Revolution. Um, now I'm coming along and I'm saying, wait a minute. The world works in this pentanomic fashion, pentanomics, and we can have freedom and equality and progress and peace and sustainability and so on if only we understand how the world works and we need these five types of theft minimized so we can have five different types of freedom and five different negotiations over price and then five different benefits that we'll get over time. Um, now, it's a little bit more complicated message, but it's also a more of a unifying message. Whichever thing speaks to you, freedom or social justice or peace or, or sustainability, whichever, one, whichever piece resonates with you most, you can be for pentonomics for that reason, but you know what? Your former political enemy is also for pentonomics for a different reason. But you know what happens when everyone's for pentonomics? <laughs> pentonomics happens. So uh, now I don't. I can't predict when it'll happen. I'm trying to make it happen as fast as I can. My guess is it's going to take about 25 years. And I say that because it took John Locke 100 years, it took Karl Marx 50 years. I think we're going to cut it in half again and make it 25 years. And if, if you think about it, this is the age of the Internet. It's the age of viral videos. Now, philosophy mm -hmm. videos don't go viral very often, but they can, okay? And there is also the 24-hour news cycle. 
And mm-hmm. look, our political divide is in the news every day, especially during election season, but even outside of election season. And so right. the whole point about the Pentonomic Institute is to create this new discussion where we, the people, can come together and discuss this new idea about how to run our society. And then as that discussion gets promoted via social media, via the news, um, via talk radio, via podcasts, then um, the more people can join the discussion. And as that starts to accelerate, especially when we get in the news cycle, wow, okay, that's going to change the world. And I think that can happen. Um, uh, it's one of those things where it will be an overnight sensation that took 15 or 10 to 15 years to, to, to build up. Wow. And I, 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 I just don't see any huh. – I don't I, – personally, this is just me. I don't see any anyone really wanting to see a political fight like this every four years. I just don't see it. Um, we do have it every four years, but uh, the divisiveness, the, the name-calling, I like to actually see a, a theory of, of of government like yours where people can actually sit down and, and talk about, okay, we've got differences. What can we do to work together? <laughs> That's what yeah. makes America great. That's what has made America great. We do have our, our problems, but uh, we do uh, tend to be optimistic, and things turn out that way. Um, well, we talk about you know what, though, oh, go ahead. It, 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 it's easier. Uh, sorry to interrupt. There's a little delay here on the phone, but um, it's easy to kind of idealize the good old days. <laughs> but wait a minute. Right. You know, newspapers were founded not on the idea of being uh, objective. They were founded on the idea of pushing a particular political view. It's only been in the last 50 years or so that we even had this notion that a newspaper or media outlet should be neutral. Okay? Um, and in truth, very few outlets are neutral. Uh, they they might pretend to be neutral or they might try to be neutral, but but usually th- there's an opinion back there, and and honestly th- that's okay. Okay, I, I wish they'd just admit it. Th- that would be a little nicer, actually. Uh, I think it'd be a, a, a better discussion. But but whatever. We we kind of know what's going on. So uh, and, and, and there was a time I, I need to look up the actual names, but I, I heard George Will commenting on this one time on, on national TV, he said, look, there was a time when one senator was ho- was holding a gun on the floor of the Senate, you know, holding back all the other senators so that his friend could beat another senator up with a cane because of what he oh. said to to um, to slight the state that they were from <laughs> or whatever, okay? So, I mean, this actually happened. I, I, I have to look up the story to get the details right, but, but the, the point is... Um, you know, we we talk about how divided we are and how um, you know all the bickering and name calling. If you look back at the, even the, even the first elections, maybe after George Washington, people were saying that you know the, the guy has 18 illegitimate sons from slaves <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, all this name calling is not new. In fact, that's one of the main points about pentonomics, is that greed came first, okay? 
people love to attack capitalism and say that it rewards greed, and therefore it's bad. No, 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 no. Greed came first. Capitalism is what we get when we try to stop the worst form of greed, criminal greed. And if you mm -hmm. stop the criminal greed as best you can, you force a negotiation over price. That's the free market. And so capitalism is what you get when you try to stop greed, or at least the criminal greed. You always, always, always want to allow people to have greedy thoughts. Because if you outlaw greedy thoughts, you outlaw life, <laughs> human life at least. Um, mm -hmm. So it's okay to have greedy thoughts. It has to be. But we don't want criminally greedy acts. Now, in between, there's capitalism, where it says, look, you can want more stuff, but capitalism says, if you do it right at least, in order to get more stuff yourself, you have to give more stuff to others. You have to create a product that is valuable to others. Then they'll buy it voluntarily, and then you'll become Bill Gates. Okay? Um, not that we're all going to become Bill Gates, but we can make a living um, in capitalism. And the way you make a living in capitalism, if you do it right, is you help other people. You give them value. And the people who try to do it the other way, the people who try to lie, cheat, steal um, their way to wealth, you know what? It doesn't always end up that way. It, it usually ends up um, them being lonely and poor. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, but now, we've known that about capitalism for some time now. Now we can apply that lesson to voter greed and political greed and, and foreign greed and even generational greed. These forms of greed exist also. They always have, always will. And we can let them run amok and steal and corrupt the system. Or we can do what we can to minimize all these kinds of greed and force a more free negotiation. And it's that negotiation that will lead to benefits over time. One popular question that came up in uh, some of the chats with my listeners, um, it was mentioned in the news recently that Millionaire Donald Trump lost about a billion dollars 20 yep. years ago. He followed the tax codes to be able to not have to contribute any taxes or whatnot to, um, you know, what happened. Now, taxes go for many things well, in society, um, ambulance, services, police, you name it. Um, we aren't, uh, as a a generational block or a couple of generational blocks as um uh, we're not as impressed with that type of uh of greed um owning hotels casinos many people uh who are um uh, millennials are into social causes. What do you think in his message to Hillary, well, you should have closed those tax loopholes. I wouldn't have been able to take advantage of that. Do you see in pentonomics um, that that could actually be addressed? Because we do have to have a tax system, or don't we? Well, um, I can imagine some future time a thousand years from now when we don't need taxes. But uh, <laughs> until we get there, uh, mm -hmm. we're going to have taxes. Um, now, I don't really want to defend Donald Trump in any way because I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. But um, 
but regarding the tax code on, on this particular issue, I'll say this. If you're a business owner and you make a profit, guess what? You're paying taxes right away or the government comes at you very aggressively, especially when you're talking about right. the kind of numbers that Donald Trump is talking about. Okay. However, if you lose money in business, does government give you some of that tax money back to, you know, compensate you for the loss of income? No. Okay. Um, government says, look, we're keeping the money that you ma that you paid from last year. We're not going to give you back 30% just because you pay 30% when you when you make money. So really, what happened with Donald Trump when he lost a billion dollars, or it was like 900 and, and, and something million dollars. But we'll just call it a billion. When he lost the billion dollars, really what he did is he prepaid his taxes for the next 20 years. His income for the next 20 years didn't even catch up to the loss that he had, Okay, assuming that, that he's still not paying taxes. So it's actually – and actually Donald Trump should have explained this. Donald Trump, is, is, as far as I'm concerned, is a very foolish politician. Even when he's – got a good point. He doesn't say it very well. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So in this case, he should have said, look, guys, I lost a billion dollars. And what that really means is, you know, I've prepaid a bunch of taxes, and, and I've been struggling to catch up ever since. And so, um, you know, government allows me to, to earn my way out of the hole, but it's not going to help me out by, by giving me money back. Uh, so that he, you know, that's kind of a complicated message to, to deliver as a politician, and so I'm guessing maybe he just didn't even try. But um, uh, you know, it, that's not a tax loophole. That that makes sense. But in terms of the tax problems in general, look, mm -hmm. politicians are rewarded for taxing too much. They're rewarded for taxing in complicated ways. They're rewarded for taxing. Um, they're the politically weak more than the politically powerful, and they're rewarded for lying about it. <laughs> they're rewarded for blaming the other party for it, and they're rewarded for not fixing it, okay, letting the next generation fix it. Now, all of these different incentives add up to a big, complicated mess, <laughs> okay? Yeah, um, that's what so, it is. <laughs> yeah. And what what my theory, Petonomics, predicts is that we're we're not going to fix that mess first. In, in politics, there are some issues that have to be fixed before you fix other issues. Um, and um, I believe that we have to solve first our understanding of social justice, because until we can come together as one nation and understand how to properly pursue social justice, then we're going to keep on being divided, we're going to keep on politicizing everything, and we're not going to fix the problem. It's only when we can come together on pentonomics that then we can start to prioritize money in government so that we fund the ideas that, that help people most, and we can start to see improvement in equal opportunity and social justice over time, and then the tax rates can go down because we need less money to help people, and then we can start to simplify the tax code, and maybe a generation from now we've earned our way into kind of a, a simpler, you know, lower flat tax where, where everyone pays the same rate, but we're all paying a low rate. 
and then that money is used very, very wisely because the competition over decades has found better and better ways to help people. And, by the way, capitalism, at by this point, we can imagine, is more productive than ever because we're we're using the police force to stop crime instead of having the regulatory police try to guarantee social justice the wrong way. In terms of foreign um, resource economy um, and home here in America, they talk about um, Syrian refugees, people who've come to this country. When we are here in America, all of us are from someplace else. We might not be from someplace else now. Our people, mothers, fathers, grandfathers, and others may, you know, have been here maybe a hundred years. I know mine have been there a little over that. But then we are all still from somewhere else. How do you believe that the uh, foreign resource economy um, has been affected or is being affected because of the, you know, influx of, of people coming here? from everywhere. I mean, isn't that what America is, is about? Well, there's a couple of issues here. Uh, first of all, when America was just getting started, there was so much land, well, you know, appropriated from the various native uh, societies that were here first, but there was so much land that they were giving it away. <laughs> you come to Oklahoma, right. land rush, the whole thing, right? Okay, so um, now everything is owned. It's owned by the federal government or the state government or the local government or private uh, private owners. Okay, um, mm-hmm. like like some states, like in, in the West, the federal government owns like seventy, eighty percent of the state. Um, people don't know that sometimes. Um, on the East Coast, it's, it's, it's that, that's much less of an issue. But the point mm-hmm. is. Now we have a situation where, okay, everything is owned by someone. And so when new people come in, we have to have a sensible way of handling that, okay? And right now we don't. Right now we limit people coming in um, uh, officially in many, many ways, and yet we don't protect, protect the borders to prevent the illegal uh, immigration, and I'll, I'll use that word illegal because that's what the current law says. Now, the problem with illegal immigration is that you have a whole bunch of people who can't be on, you know, above board. They're forced to live life under the table, and that's not that's not good for them. That's not healthy for society. It creates outlaws of the people who employ them. It, it makes them outlaws as well. Um, and it creates this whole underclass. And I hate to use that word, but, but that's what we're creating. Um, so illegal immigration is, is horrible all around. Now, why are they doing it? They're doing it when our economy is good. They come in and they get the jobs they can get. They send money back home. And often they go back home when the, when the economy is bad because really they still feel like their country that they came from is home. Um, right. I hear that many times. I mean, it's not easy to, to illegally immigrate into a country. And you know what? The people who are doing it often are really the, the best people. They're the most enterprising people. They're the, they're the most passionate people. They're the people who are willing to take action and, and, and make life better for themselves and their family. So what, what Pentonomics says is 
over time, okay, now this might take a while, I'm not sure how long, a generation or two, I'm not sure. But over time, a better approach is going to be one where we can allow people to come here. It's just not a problem. We want to make sure that there aren't the terrorist people coming in, of course. Um, and we can we can open our borders and and have more legal immigration and less illegal immigration. And and we can accomplish that by having a free market society where someone who doesn't know the language, um, whichever language is dominant at the time, uh, you know, so far it's been English, but that that that, that does change over time. Um, right. Uh, but my point is. You know, different people have different skills, whether it's language or technical skills, um, educational skills, social skills, uh, various trade skills, management skills, and so on. So if people come over and they have poor skills, they're going to get the lousy jobs. Okay, let them have the, those lousy jobs, and then we can have this, the mature society that can handle that and and provide educational opportunities and so on at a very efficient uh, in a very efficient way a free market way funded in part by the government but um the variety will come from the free market and we can we can all prosper together so um one of the one of the principles in pentonomics again though is that pentonomics does not tell us how the world should work it tells us how the world does work and so we as a nation, we get a chance to decide that in the moment we can't afford a massive influx and so we have to protect our borders. And that's just reality. And then in another moment, we can say, okay, now we know how to do this, we can open it up a little bit more. And, 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 and in general, I would say um, uh, it's much better to have a worker visa program that makes everyone be above board and pay their share of taxes and not be underground because an underground economy doesn't really help anyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we um, are now uh, moving into a, a section I really like. And I heard you say earlier in the conversation about recycling, recycling, recycling. You would have thought maybe by now, since um, I believe it was um, Al Gore talking about green energy and and the humanity and society becoming better, that we would have green homes by now, more green cars, more green energy. Um, and that, I would guess, in your model would be under government spending or private spending or both. Well, um, that's the future. Uh, you know, I, I see it being the future. Yeah. Well, um, on, under the under, under the pentonomic model, there are the four economies that are happening in the moment: capitalism, government spending, democracy, diplomacy, and then there's concern for the future. Okay, right. meaning we need to set limits and live within those limits in each of the four other economies. And we have to also choose what to invest in each of the four other economies. And so it kind of reflects back to the four other economies. And so there are, so in the pentonomic model, there is a place for us to make arbitrary limits on capitalism to protect the, the environment, to, you know, minimize pollution or, or whatever. 
there, there's a place to set arbitrary limits on government spending to protect the future from us stealing from them. Um, it makes sense to set limits on democracy, term limits, for example, because if you don't have term limits, you're essentially robbing the future of their choice. They can't have yeah. their voice be heard if they can't have a real choice about who's elected. Um, and, and even in diplomacy, you know, if you let a Hitler take over the world, you're robbing the future. There's a place to arbitrarily, you know, say, you know what, this has gone too far. I'm declaring war. We're going to stop you because it's in our interest and or it's the right thing to do. Uh, doesn't always happen for the right reasons, but, um, uh, you know, that, that's, that's reality. So, so when you ask, like, something about, like, green energy, like, why don't we have more green energy? Well, where would green energy come from? It would come from a little bit from all of these economies. Capitalism is going to have a natural incentive to discover better and better energy production anyway, just because that's the competition that happens in capitalism. It, it was happening um, uh, on its own. Government spending, some government spending could be earmarked as investment for strategic purposes to um, you know, get us off of oil and onto solar faster. Uh, even if it's a waste of money from a capitalist standpoint, it might still be strategically valuable to throw a little bit of money towards the uh, solar industry. Um, you know, that's a big political football right there. But Fitonomics says, again, it's it's part of the arbitrary decision we're going to make to invest uh, for our strategic future. Um, in democracy, we can argue about it in, in the pandering sense and um, and encourage politicians to to implement those policies. And in terms of diplomacy, if, if we see foreign nations that are essentially stealing from the future because they're producing um, pollution of this kind or that kind or, or whatever they're doing, um, or they see it in us, you know, we're going to have that negotiation. So, so, so you can see how a single issue like clean energy actually ends up uh, touching all five of the economies in its own way. Now, um, and just for anyone who's concerned about clean energy, the good news right now is solar. Solar is constantly getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. It's actually cheaper than, than the other major um, energy alternatives for much of the world now, especially as the sunnier, hotter parts of the world, the, the Middle East, for example. Um, uh, so it's actually cheaper now to do solar than, than nuclear or coal or, or natural gas in a lot of places in the world. And, and it, it's, it's dropped, I think, like 30% just this year in cost. So next year it's going to drop more maybe, um, the year after that, the year after that. It's, it's getting to the point where solar doesn't need subsidies anymore. It's going to be the lowest price alternative no matter what. <laughs> um, and... Um, the potential there is absolutely huge. I, I forget the exact numbers, but, but every hour the sun gives us <clears throat> more energy than we need for like a, a thousand years or something silly like, like that. We just have to capture it. So as technology improves, and really it's kind of like you know, the same way we've seen computers improve. Solar energy is using a lot of the same techniques as computer chip manufacturing, and they're sort of starting to see the same kinds of improvements over time. So I'm very optimistic that that concern over greenhouse gases and so on, um, it, it might just go away in the, in the next maybe 20 years. Uh, some people are predicting it going away even, even sooner. Um, but, uh, you know, 
cars do produce a lot of CO2. Um, uh, cows produce a lot of methane. Um, but we're, we're seeing ways of, of, of growing meat nowadays. Uh, it doesn't taste very good, I hear, but, um, you know, it's coming along. So um, I, I do uh, – I, I am an optimist in these things, that the future does tend to get better. And, and by the way, this is actually baked into the fundamental laws of reality. And, and, and let me just, just explain this because it's just kind of fun. If – if we build a society that is kind of working against reality, it's kind of ignoring reality, that mm-hmm. society is going to lose out in time. Um, but if we build a society that works in concert with reality, it's going to survive better. It's going to thrive. And so built into the mere existence of reality is this kind of guiding wind or pressure towards whatever works, whatever is in alignment with reality. In other words, the more poetic way of phrasing this is that the winds of reality blow towards utopia. Okay? This is why life gets better over the centuries. Even if life gets worse in our lifetime, you know, things getting worse is still compatible with long-term growth because every now and then you have to explore a dead end to find the right path, right? But in, mm-hmm. in politics, sometimes dead ends take 80 years to explore, <laughs> okay? So, um, or maybe even a 1,000 years. I mean, it all, it all depends. But, but the point is, over time, over the long term, this competition that happens naturally ends up producing better and better results because reality encourages it. It's built into reality. That's what powers evolution in biology, and it's also what powers social evolution. <laughs> it's this, it's this, the winds of reality um, uh, that, that blow towards utopia. That's, that's built in. That's what makes me an optimist. And, and by the way, that also means that we will eventually converge on a single philosophy a single political philosophy that describes how the world actually works. Eventually, we will converge. Reality says so. Um, and I believe it's pentonomics, um, or something very similar to pentonomics, to the degree that pentonomics is not perfect. But um, right. uh, I, we will converge, and I think pentonomics is certainly, at the very least, the next step in that convergence. Uh, it just has too much stuff going for it. Awesome. Thanks so much for giving this in, uh, this information. It's a uh, really good look at, at a new way of moving forward uh, in a positive way <laughs> and a more more together way of, of moving forward as we try to make life and society better, not just now, but uh, future generations. It's how we can all work together. That's what I like about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, if anyone wants to learn more about it, um, there's a video that, that describes it um, in a very succinct way. If you go to pentonomics.org, um, that's where it's all happening. So um, I encourage you to go watch the video and then um, uh, sign up and join the discussion. Awesome. Thanks so much for being with us, Rick. Really appreciate you having, having you back. Well, thank you for thinking of me. I'm, I'm glad to come back uh, anytime.